All right, well, good morning. So good to be with you this morning. My name is Michael. I'm one of the pastors here at Alliance, and uh, just an honor. I, I'm feeling a little old this morning, though. As I saw Cam up here doing announcements, I thought, I will never be able to match that energy. That, those days are behind me. Um, and if you can believe it, Cam came up to me after first service, and he goes, I'll subdue it for the second service. So uh, I don't, you should have seen the first anyway. I'm also feeling a little old because uh, I just realized this week that um, this is uh, Labor Day weekend, um, 20 years ago was the first time that I ever came to Alliance Bible Fellowship. Isn't that crazy? I was a junior in college um, and Alliance Bible Fellowship was celebrating its 25th anniversary. Labor Day weekend is always the weekend that they celebrate their anniversary. That's when in 1978, uh, the, the Bible study started happening. Um, and so in 2003, they wanted to gather in a spot that would house everybody in one single service. So they rented out the largest auditorium in Boone, which was Farthing Auditorium, now the Schaefer Center. And um, I was a junior at the time, had just moved back up to Boone, and I hadn't found a home church yet, but my apartment was really close to the Schaefer Center. And so I, I, some friends wanted to go and I thought, yeah, let's go, let's go to the church on campus. That sounds kind of fun. And uh, I wandered in and long story short, 20 years later, this has been my home church. Unbelievable. How, how many of you were there at that uh, 25th anniversary? Anybody in the room? A couple of you guys? That's awesome. Um, I'm just thankful. I didn't know it at the time, but this would become my church home, and I would spend the next 1,000 Sundays of my life here. Unbelievable. Isn't that crazy? And so I was thinking about it this week. I, I would imagine maybe there's another junior that wandered into Alliance Bible Fellowship for the first time. Uh, and I want to welcome you. I want to warmly welcome you as I received that warm welcome uh, 20 years ago and uh, thankful that you're here um, as we unofficially celebrate our 45th anniversary as a church. Um, and I want to give you a, one bit of life advice this morning, and is this. Find a church that preaches God's word faithfully and stick with it for a thousand Sundays and it'll transform your life. Um, this has been an unbelievable blessing to me and my family, so I'm thankful for this church and the faithfulness of the, of the leaders. I'm just grateful. Um, if you have your Bible, turn to Acts chapter 28 with me. That's where we're going to be this morning. Acts chapter 28, the very end of the story. We're going to take a short break from our study in the book of Luke. Uh, Pastor Scott's on a well-deserved vacation. Uh, so we're taking a break from Luke, kind of. And I say kind of because we're going to study a passage that Luke wrote. It's actually part of the same story. You know that Luke and Acts are uh, a two-volume story that Luke wrote for Theophilus. Uh, but we're going to go all the way to the end. We're leaving Acts chapter 2, and or Luke chapter 2, and we're going to go to Acts chapter 28 now to the very end of the story. Uh, my mom had a really interesting habit. Uh, whenever she would read a book, she would very typically or very often go to the last page or two and read the last little bit of it to see if it had a happy ending or not. Whenever we'd go to Barnes and Noble, you know, she'd get a stack of books and she goes, this is a book I want to read. Let me see if it's a good one. Um, anybody else do that? I, okay, a couple of you guys, yeah. That's always been the weirdest habit to me, but it's exactly what we're going to do this morning. Uh, we, you know, we've been in Luke for a couple of uh, months now, and I think we realized this is going to be a really good study for our church family. But I thought we could slip to the very last page and kind of see where this whole thing is going. Do you, do you know what kind of a story you're getting into? If you stick with this book and you hear Jesus over and over call you to a life of discipleship, do you know where that might lead you? Because Luke is happy to show us. And that's what I want to do this morning. I just want to go to the end of the book. Is it a happy ending? Is it something we want to stick with? That's where we're going to go this morning. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 28. We're going to look at two short verses, 30 and 31. If you remember last week, we were in the manger in Bethlehem the beginning of Luke's story. We're going to go six decades in the future now to a prison cell in Rome. 
So our focus this morning will be on the Apostle Paul and specifically how he was handling these unfortunate circumstances that the Lord had brought him to. He's in prison. He's under house arrest. Um, we're waiting for his legal trial to resolve, and Luke will give us a nice little summary statement of the end. So we're going to look at this text, and I'll try to unpack it, explain the text, and we'll have a few lessons from it. There's a lot here. So let's look at uh, Acts chapter 28, verses 30 and 31. He, being Paul, lived there two whole years at his own expense. And he welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance period. End of the story. Next thing you read in the Bible is Romans. There's no second acts to find out what happens to Paul. Does he get out of prison? Does he, does he release? Does it, what, what happens? This is it. This is where Luke closes this story of the church with a man who is suffering in prison. He's serving others that came to him and he's advancing the gospel. Paul's circumstances, as we're going to find out this morning, were wildly frustrating but he's serving. And as a result, the gospel goes forward. This is the attitude that Jesus wants to form in his followers. This is where Luke is going. I want you to know this. Every Sunday that we hear a sermon in the book of Luke, I want you to know this is the ultimate conclusion. This is discipleship. This is what you will get if you stick with Luke. Courageous men and women who boldly move forward into the darkness under horrible circumstances, continuing to proclaim the gospel and hold out the light of, of the gospel, uh, no matter what comes their way. And I believe that Luke perfectly captures this in these final two verses. And I, I actually have grown to love this ending of Acts. I've not always loved it, though. For most of my life, I've been pretty frustrated. If you're familiar with the flow of Acts, you know that for the last 10 chapters or so, Paul has exclusively fixed his attention on Paul and all of his legal troubles. He goes down to Jerusalem, he gets arrested, and we're following him in court. Like he gives his defense 18 times, different Roman rulers. And the Holy Spirit always helps him get the upper hand. And he's always triumphing, right? And then he appealed to Caesar. And so to Caesar he went, and he's going to Rome, and he survives a shipwreck. And we get there in chapter 28, the triumphant Paul in his chains walks into Rome. And we're thinking, this is what's gonna happen? Is the whole thing gonna resolve? And Luke ends the story. <laughs> He sits in prison and that's it. We don't know if he gets out or not. We're like, thank you, Luke. We've been dying to know what's going on with Paul. What's gonna happen? Are you kidding? Now, I've always, like, I've been a generous reader and I've always thought, like, let's just give Luke the benefit of the doubt. Maybe Theophilus was breathing down his neck and he had a publishing deadline and he had to, you know, get that story out. And he's like, I, I don't know what happens, but you're gonna have to take it here. Um, maybe he gets out, maybe he doesn't. I actually don't think that's the case anymore. I think Luke knows more than he's telling us. I think this is a deliberate period to the end of the story, and I'll explain why in a bit, but I, I, I think he knows more. Maybe Paul was released. There's actually good evidence in church history that Paul, this was not the final imprisonment for Paul. A, a lot of people think that he got out, but Luke doesn't tell us. We have to find other church fathers that tell us that. You know where, Luke, or where Paul always wanted to go? Spain. And a lot of people tell us that maybe, maybe Paul got over to Spain. We don't know, though. He doesn't tell us. Maybe he comes back to Rome where he's imprisoned by Nero and later beheaded. Probably that happened, but we don't know. And that's the point. Luke doesn't tell us. He ends his story here with Paul in prison, and it is the perfect ending. It's the perfect ending. You're going to find out, and you've already seen as we study Luke, he's an amazing historian, but he's not primarily 
a historian where he's trying to get every little detail as it happened. Though he does do that. Everything is accurate historically, but that's not his primary purpose when he's writing the story. He's trying to show how historical events are shaping God's people into a new kind of people. God is doing something new and he's creating a new type of human and it's perfectly summarized here in Paul. This is new. This is what Jesus has done, creating this prisoner that's got this wonderful, courageous, unbridled attitude where he's he's pushing forth the gospel. That is victory. That is triumph. And that's what Luke wants to see at the end of of his story. It's perfect. And so what I want to do this morning, I want to look at this text, and I think we can draw out three important lessons on developing that same Um, type of courage in the face of suffering that Paul had. The same Holy Spirit that helped him can can help us when when the darkness closes in on our lives. Now, you're going to notice that all of these lessons, each of these lessons deals with our attitude towards suffering. And so you're going to leave here and you're going to go to lunch and you're going to, Michael preached a sermon on suffering. No, I didn't. This is not a, a sermon on suffering. This is a sermon on courage, and on victory, and on the Christian victorious life. It just happens that you can only develop courage when you have a biblical view of what suffering is. And so that's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at how Paul thought about suffering and how the Holy Spirit gave him courage in that uh, dark prison cell. So here we go. Three lessons on courage. We're going to start with this one. The first lesson is this. We should not simply expect suffering. We should embrace it. Let me say that again. We should not simply expect suffering. We should embrace it. These are two very, very different attitudes. Now, I would imagine that most Christians that have read their Bible, at least like one page of your Bible, would understand that Christians will suffer. Like it's part, it's, it's on every single page. There are some health, wealth, prosperity teachers that want to say you should never have an ounce of suffering in your life. They've just never read their Bible. I've been here for a thousand sermons now, so I can say that like, suffering is on every single page. It's part of the Christian life. But I'm learning that we need to be more specific and say exactly what we mean because I don't think it's enough to say Christians should expect to suffer like some vague hardships will come in your life and so be ready for that day when the rain clouds come and you can't get out of it. I I don't think that's the biblical picture. Think about Jesus. He didn't say, In your Christian life, in in discipleship, you're going to go through life and you're going to encounter a few crosses along the way. Be ready when those crosses come. What did he say? He He didn't say that. He said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Follow me. Pick up his cross daily. We must actively, the scriptures teach us, embrace suffering as a part of the Christian life. Now, it's very important. Let me Let me qualify. The Bible said, Peter says, don't suffer as a criminal, as a wrongdoer. Don't suffer like the proverbial fool who sought out a beating. But when we follow Jesus, we must embrace the fact that suffering is part of our calling. I need to take a drink of water, excuse me. You think, where's that in the text? Let's look at the text. Look at verse 30. And if you look at verse 30, you're going to see that Paul is in prison. Now, it doesn't say it right here explicitly in prison, but if you're following the context, it's very clear he is under arrest, and he's been under arrest for a long time. Verse 20, he, uh, in Acts chapter 28, he mentions his chains. He's bound. He's under house arrest, and he's lost his freedom. Now, if you zoom out a little bit further, again, you're going to find that he's been in custody for four long and frustrating years. But here's the crazy thing. If you're a careful reader of the book of Acts, he could have avoided it all. 
he didn't have to go to jail. In fact, if you were to interview his friends, they would have told you he shouldn't have gone to jail. He knew better when he went to Jerusalem back in Acts chapter 21. Everybody was telling him along the way, don't go, they're gonna arrest you. There's one of my favorite scenes in the whole Bible. Uh, I was reading it this week and it just hit me how awkward this scene is. But he go, he's, Paul is collecting money to take a uh, offering down to the Jerusalem church because they're struggling. And so he's stopping at church after church after church. And so on one stop, this prophet Agabus comes up to him. And the Bible says that Agabus comes up and he takes off Paul's belt, like, which is just a strange thing to do. But he took off Paul's belt and he wrapped his arms up and he wrapped his legs up and he says this, thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Paul knew what was coming. But what did he say? Oh man, I better cancel my trip. He goes, guys, you're breaking my heart. I'm going to Jerusalem to deliver the money there. I'm ready to go to jail. I'm ready to die if that's what it takes. Here's my point. Suffering didn't sneak up on Paul. He embraced it as a way of life as Jesus taught him to do. Even in his conversion, when, when Jesus opens up his eyes on the Damascus road, he says, I'm gonna teach you how much you're gonna suffer for my name. And Paul embraced that and he didn't run away from that. This is the type of courageous attitude that Luke wants his readers to cultivate, but it is not natural. It's the main thing I want you to hear from this sermon. This is not natural. Most of us spend our time avoiding this type of suffering. We, we try to follow Jesus, but we structure our lives to do it in the most painless way possible. It's a very natural impulse, isn't it? Let me give you an illustration to maybe help make this point. Many of you know that uh, before I came to work on staff here uh, in 2012, I was um, a program director at a Christian camp down in Avery County called TVR for about seven years, which was a wonderful job. Kids love camp so much because every day they come, they get completely messy. Every single day, they are covered from head to toe with mud, water, shaving cream, which is an awesome experience for a camper. But when you're a leader of that kind of a ministry and you're getting muddy and wet every single day of the summer, every single week for your entire 20s, what were you doing during your 20s? I'll tell you what I was doing in the summers. I was getting messy. And it kind of grows old a little bit. And so I came up with like some really creative ways, at least I thought they were creative and brilliant, to get out of this. I decided that I would master the technique of doing the activities without getting muddy. <laughs> So I would, um, you know, we'd go down to the tow river and we'd drop a bunch of kids in the river and send them down a, a mile long tubing uh, journey. And I would get in at the very end and I figured out a way that you can get down on your hands and knees like a dog and get on this tube and float down. And whenever the bus would pick us up, my chacos are a little bit wet, but I'm bone dry. And I'm like, man, I figured this thing out. I've cracked the code. We did this... Um, this must be an Avery County thing, but we had an event. We canceled it because it was very dangerous. But back in the day, it didn't matter about that kind of stuff. That's, camp was different, I'm telling you, back in the 90s, 80s. Uh, but we did this event called Creekin'. And Avery County folks know what creaking is. You just walk up a creek, right? It's, but it's extremely dangerous and awesome. Well, the truck would pick us up at the end of the day, and every camper is covered in mud and water, except for me. Because I was genius and I figured out a way to like hop from rock to rock and like scamper around the side of the waterfall so that I could come get picked up dry as a bone. Now at the time I was very proud of myself. Like I figured out a cheat code. I can do camp and not get messy. Like I can do my job without all the, the nastiness of it. But looking back, I'm extremely embarrassed that I would do this. 
because I was completely missing out on the spirit of camp. I was giving campers a horrible experience. You know, summer staff would come in there and as the program director, I would teach them, this is what it means to, to, to embrace the spirit of camp, to get in the campers' lives and to get muddy with them and to get dirty with them. And I'm completely avoiding it myself. In order to do my job effectively, I had to just embrace the cold water and get in there and do it again and do it again and do it again. I wonder how many Christians live our lives like this. Like we know the Bible says it's gonna be hard. Yeah, we get it. But even still, we structure our lives deliberately and we invest a remarkable amount of energy to avoid the pain. We've, we know where the stones are and we know how we can get out of the suffering, dodging it. We have from rock to rock doing our best to avoid any pain, thinking, and we have this dream in our head that we can enter the kingdom of heaven without a bruise. It's not how the Bible speaks of suffering. That's not how the Bible speaks of our calling. That's certainly not from Jesus. That's like our own creative invention that is not in the Bible. The Bible never tells us to passively expect suffering. We're told to embrace it. Paul, in chapter 14 of Acts, he gets stoned to the point of death. The Spirit brings him back to life and he revives him. And what does he do? He walks into the city where the people stoned him and he teaches the brothers there, the, the church is there, and he goes, it's through many tribulations that we enter the kingdom of God. He goes right back into the city where they beat him. When you give your life to Jesus and you begin doing the things that God loves, you're gonna suffer. When you proclaim the gospel to hard hearts, some will believe and others will reject. Actually, that's exactly what Paul is doing here in Acts 28. He's preaching the gospel to hard hearts. Some believed, but many of them rejected it. It gets hard. When you care for the poor, when you open your door to the stranger, when you make a home for the fatherless, you're going to take on their pain. The blacksmith does not live his life near the fire without getting burnt. You will not live near the brokenhearted, the people that God is interested in and caring for without feeling the pain yourself. When you step out and take in faith and take risks for the gospel of Jesus and live sacrificially as Jesus instructs us to do, you will leave your comfort behind. It's just part of the calling, but that is the, exactly the type of human that God wants to form. And it's the type of human that Luke is highlighting here in his story. People who have taken the call to discipleship seriously. Embrace suffering as a part of your call. Here's the second lesson we learn from the text. Suffering does not sideline us from ministry. It enhances it. Suffering doesn't sideline us from ministry. It enhances it. Let me ask you a couple of questions here and just fill in the blanks and just see what you come up with. Can you do more good for the kingdom of God with $10 in your wallet or a million dollars in a bank somewhere? Which, which can you be more effective with, right? Can you serve more effectively when you're at the height of your you know, physical condition where you're feeling incredible, you just got done with a long run, you're feeling great about life, or when you're doubled over in the corner in pain? Here's the, here's the illustration that we typically use. I'm sure I've slipped this in a sermon myself and I think it's a good illustration, but it just goes to prove the point. Is it, is it easier to strap the oxygen mask on the kid next to you on the plane if you're breathing easy or if you're gasping for air? Common sense tells us that we serve most effectively from a place of strength and abundance and health. 
That is natural human wisdom at its finest. A few days ago, I was sitting at a doctor's office in the waiting room, and there was a television in the corner scrolling through the you know, obligatory pharmaceutical, you know, new FDA-approved drugs. And, but I appreciated this office because they sprinkled in some inspirational quotes. And there was one uh, quote that came up from a, a well-known Bible teacher that said this, I believe that the greatest gift you can give to your family and to the world is a healthy you. I'd thought about that for days. What do you think? I determined this from a natural perspective, like a purely natural standpoint, that is a really hard quote to refute. It's pretty inspirational, actually, when you think about it. The sky is the limit for a healthy you. You can do anything. But a sick you is a burden. You know what a sick you does? It ties up your family's Tuesday to take you to a doctor's appointment. A sick you is nothing for the kingdom. Natural wisdom teaches us that suffering sidelines us from effective ministry. But here's the great thing about the Bible. It's not a natural book. And it does not give us natural human wisdom. It it actually assaults human wisdom. Jesus did not save sinners according to natural human wisdom, through might, through power. He saved sinners according to the wisdom of God, which meant that he came to our earth and he suffered for us and he died. That's the brilliance of salvation that we gather in here every Sunday to sing about. It's, it's remarkable, the wisdom of God. It's so different than our small wisdom. He saves us through weakness and through suffering. God does his best work through weak men and women. That's a biblical theme. That's godly wisdom. You're like, okay, where's that in the text? (laughs) Let's look at it. Look at verse 30 again. Paul is in prison, but what is he doing? He is welcoming everyone who came to him. I actually, truth be told, I read this the last day of my Bible reading plan last year in 2022. This was the last thing. And that, that line has just reverberated through my life for the last, since December 31st, 2022. Paul is sitting in prison and he's welcoming everybody that comes to him. That is remarkable to me. That is truly inspirational to me. I want that kind of courage. Don't you want that kind of courage? The Jews and the Romans can lock him up for four years, but they can't stop him from serving. That's freedom. Like that's true freedom. You might think freedom's walking out the door. That, what Paul has here is freedom. But here, yeah, so... I, I, I'm just curious. I'm, I'm so thankful that Paul wasn't sitting in his, in his house prison watching inspirational posters flicker by that said, the greatest gift that you can give to your family and to the world, Paul, is a free you. You are a burden to the church when you sit in prison. So fight for freedom. You know that the Romans didn't provide food for prisoners. They had to rely on the kindness of their friends. And so how did Paul eat and survive for two years? People came and helped him. You're a burden to the church, Paul. Get out, fight. Now, don't get me wrong. Paul preferred freedom. He used the Roman law like expertly to gain his freedom when it was appropriate. But hear this. He never wasted a single day in prison. In Acts chapter 28, he's serving, he's ministering, he's reaching out. I've thought a lot about Paul in those prison cells the last couple of weeks as I've, I've meditated on this. Paul's, I think, theology is sharpened in the, in the dark prison cells. 
He writes some of the most comforting words. Anybody ever been encouraged by a text from Philippians? He wrote those in that room. He's pouring out, he's serving, he's giving. Actually, in Philippians, he said, it's, it's because of my arrest that the whole Praetorian Guard has heard the gospel now. He's serving, he's reaching out. Now, suffering can make us very self-centered. It's kind of the nature of suffering. You close in, you close off. What do you do with a wound? You nurse it, you cover it up, you protect it. We retreat until we get better. So it, it's a very true statement that suffering can pull you back and sideline. You can, you can stop giving until the tank is full again. But I wanna encourage you this morning from God's word. Suffering does not have to sideline you from effective ministry. It can actually enhance and sweeten the ministry that God wants for you. Have you ever noticed that the great men and women of the faith, when they get sick, their ministry is amplified? I was thinking about Dr. Bransford this week and how small I felt when I walked up to the hospital room right before one of his final surgeries to pray with him. What is that man doing? He's serving, he's giving out, he's encouraging people, anybody that came to him. I left that hospital room transformed because of his boldness and courage to keep giving, even in his weakest moments. I don't have as much experience with this and probably you don't either in America, but the same thing happens to the great men and women of the faith when they get thrown in a prison cell. It's like what God has been doing all along just amplifies. It just comes out. I can't get over Betsy Tim Boom, how she was thrown in the Nazi death camp. What did she do? She decorated it and hosted a Bible study. Is that what you would do if you were thrown in a Nazi death camp? I'm gonna organize the thing and I'm just, I think we're gonna meet dozens of women that found their way to Betsy Tin Boom in the back of that prison because she was faithful to keep serving, to keep welcoming, to keep caring. And they heard the gospel. That's courage. That's beautiful and it's what I want. I, I believe that the Holy Spirit does his best work in these dark forgotten corners of the world. And maybe you find yourself in a dark forgotten corner of the world, sidelined from what the world would say is effective ministry because you get assaulted with quotes that say, the best gift you can give is not that. The Holy Spirit does his best work there. Maybe you're waiting to get better, to come out of the darkness, to serve. I wanna show you in God's wisdom, in God's word, you are in the perfect place to begin serving now. And so if I could implore you with everything I have, do something extremely small this week. Have the courage to do just a little tiny thing and I promise you this, it will not be overlooked. God will take that little fish, that little bread and amplify it. Jesus, I was remembering the story this week where he's looking at the widow putting the little two mites and she, this is her grocery food. This is her grocery money. She's dropping it in the offering plate and Jesus bounces out of his chair and he goes, that's it. That's what I'm looking for. That's discipleship. Isn't that beautiful? That's courage. And so as you're weak this week, be courageous. Do something small for the Lord and see what God does with that gift. Here's the third and final lesson. Suffering does not stop the gospel's advance. It cuts the path. Suffering doesn't stop the gospel's advance. It cuts the path. You, you avoid suffering not knowing that the suffering is the, the thing God will use to advance the gospel. Look at verse 31 again. 
This courageous prisoner is proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. That's why I think Luke ends here. Those last two words, without hindrance. He started that story at the beginning of Acts. The gospel's gonna go, and it did, and it's not stopping. Paul, his forward momentum has been stopped here, but the gospel continues to reverberate. And those last two words, without hindrance, have bounced around the walls of Jerusalem and Judea and to the edges of the earth for 2,000 years. The gospel moves forward without hindrance, even though the rulers of the world want to hinder us. The gospel goes forward without hindrance. The Jews and the Romans want to shut Paul up. The rulers of the world want to silence our message and they use force. But what they don't realize is that when we hurt and we're wounded and we're weakened, that's like where the gospel comes out. It cuts the path for the advance of the gospel. It issues forth out of our pain. And you know you have experiences of this in your life where you had pain and that opened an opportunity for the gospel to grow, go forward. Unless a grain of seed falls to the ground and dies, it bears no fruit. It, something dies. That's where the gospel is born. It flows freely through our tears. But once again, how does the gospel advance? It's issuing forth from a cold, nasty prison cell. That's the wisdom of God, the power of God on full display. Luke will tell this story repeatedly. There's a little pattern. If you keep with Luke, you'll see this over and over and over. When God's servants are wounded, they're not sidelined. They, they respond faithfully. And as a result, the gospel proceeds. We just read about Mary. She received a difficult task, but she obeyed joyfully. And what happened? The Christ is born. Jesus is given an impossible task, but he sets his face toward Jerusalem and obeys his father and the gospel comes into the world. And this pattern continues in the church. Stephen preaches a, a powerful sermon to an angry mob with stones in their hands. If you're preaching to an angry mob with stones in your hand, you can get out of it and go, okay, all right, all right, sorry, sorry, sorry. Did I say something wrong? <laughs> Stephen didn't do that. He just kept going. He kept going, proclaiming the truth. They didn't like it. And he, he, he entrusted his soul to God. And he died. But you know what happens at the end of that story? The gospel moves out of the walls of Jerusalem as people go throughout the year. It's a beautiful story and it happens over and over and over. Paul is placed in prison unjustly because of a lie, but instead of sulking, retreating, he welcomes everyone who comes and the gospel goes forth unhindered. Friends, don't think that your wounds stop the gospel from advancing. Your wounds cut the path through which the gospel advances. When your human strength has failed and you can't open the doors anymore, that's where God's strength is on full display and where he opens doors that no man can open in their power or in their wisdom. That's the end of the story. That's where Luke is going. As he writes this, we started like, uh, we heard the Christmas story last week. If you stick with it, this is where you're gonna get to a prison cell, suffering for Jesus, but advancing, serving, caring, this is what Jesus wants to form in us. And we're gonna get into some hard passages where Jesus will call us to lay down a lot to follow him. This is where it's going. It's harder than you could possibly realize. It's gonna cost you more. It's gonna cost you your very life. When you give your life to Jesus, your safety is no longer guaranteed. How do you like that? Your freedom is no longer guaranteed. Your family is no longer guaranteed. Your health is no longer guaranteed. Your very life 
is no longer guaranteed. And you think, why do you do that? Because that's where you find Jesus. It's victory. It's courage. It's power. When we lose everything for the sake of gaining Christ, that's, that's the goal of discipleship and it's beautiful. It's courageous and it's freedom. I want to close this morning and just let these words wash over you. Some of Paul's most famous words and surely they've encouraged you. As Paul is welcoming people, he pins the words of Philippians chapter three. I want to close with these words. He tells the Philippians, whatever gain I had, I counted as a loss for the sake of Christ. It's gone. Indeed, I count everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him. I love this last two lines, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Let's pray. Lord, I know this message is hard because it, goes, it really does assault our human wisdom. And we like to be in control. We like to have a righteousness of our own and a wisdom of our own and a pathway of our own because at the end of the day, we get the glory. But at the end of the day, if we live that way, we miss you. We don't even need to come here and sing songs to you if we're living like that, Lord, in our own power and strength and wisdom and might. Forgive us, Lord, when we exalt ourselves. I'm thankful this morning for the gospel. I'm thankful for Luke's masterpiece. I love this book. I love the scripture. I love every word of your scripture that teaches us the wisdom of God. And it assaults us. And it's such a good thing because we are so small and so weak. And your wisdom is so mighty and powerful that you would love us and you would suffer for us and you would die for us and you would serve us and you would bring the gospel from heaven into our hearts. Wow. Move us this morning, God. We repent this morning. As we gather here for worship this morning, we repent of the times where we have made your, your wisdom small and exalted our own, God. And we just pray that you would, you would be glorified among us. You're so good. I know that this room is full of weak brothers and sisters. The gospel is good news for weak brothers and sisters. You're not done. I'm thankful that people limped into this room today. Thankful. Lord, would you do a mighty thing through their small, 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 small actions and receive every bit of the glory because when we're weak, we know that you're strong and we know that these jar clays, of, jar clays can't hold anything except for the surpassing worth of God. And so I pray that for our people this morning, Lord. We love you and we're thankful.